Welcome to yet another episode and a fun episode of Global Conversations webcast. Today is someone who I've wanted to speak with for a very long time. Uh, he is he's a prolific person on LinkedIn. He's got his his webcast his uh, podcast element of inclusion. Uh, he's he's just everything you want to know about equity, diversity, inclusion. So my guest, welcome, uh, Jonathan Ashton Lamptey. Andre, thank you so much for having me here. You're right. We've been talking about this for a long time, so yeah. we might finally make it happen. <laughs> happy to be here. Happy to be part of this global conversations you're having. Yeah. And, and no, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, as I've been going through the research in terms of, in terms of your work and your knowledge, I know that you were, I keep on saying former account, but you're not, you're still an account by trade. And the one thing that really got to me here was when you put in your bio, this is so catchy and I'm going to quote it here. I've got a PhD in your problems and the commercial expertise to apply it in a practical way. Your immediate goal is using evidence-based inclusion to help people, leaders get results in 90 days. And your big, hairy, audacious goal is to help a million people like you to make your workplace inclusive. And so that is the, that is the big catch that should get people to understand who you really are. And so I want to go back and let's talk about who you really are as an individual, um, why you got into this work, why, yes, you are an accountant by trade, but tell us a little bit more about who you, what makes you who you are. Sure. And thank you. Thanks for that intro. And I, I yeah. like, I like what you said about my uh, catchy byline. <laughs> You're reminding me as well, because I live it. I don't, I don't often say it like that. So it's nice yeah. to hear it back. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So I'll tell you what, maybe we should start with the accountancy stuff. So sure. however many years ago, 20 something years ago, I was working as a chartered accountant. This isn't when it all started, but I was a chartered accountant. So I'm a member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. And I used to work in companies like the Walt Disney Company. Um, I used to, my clients were, or I worked for or with a lot of what you think of as old media, legacy media. Mm -hmm. I used to work for Channel 4, um, ITV, 5. Like they were clients of ours yeah. in some of the organizations that I worked with. But in terms of doing this work, it really all kicked off around 2009. Okay. Mm -hmm. Actually, around, and it was in January as well so yeah. it's about 15 years ago wow. 15 years right. ago okay so i was at the obama inauguration mm -hmm. right the first obama inauguration i was in washington dc and i was massively inspired like everyone else and then i came back i wasn't that happy at work and i came back to the uk back to back to london and as you said i'm a i'm a chartered accountant and so every month i get accountancy magazine in the post and i normally ignore it Accountancy Magazine, as everyone will know, is one of the most fascinating and interesting reads that you could ever right. imagine. Right? Right? No, everyone yeah. I know is an accountant. It just goes straight in the bin. But yeah. I actually used to read it. I opened it, and it's talking. It's, there's, there's an article. I'll never forget it because this article changed my life. It's called It Does Matter If You're mm -hmm. Black or White. Mm -hmm. And it's got a picture of Obama, and it's got the, um, the, the U.S. Capitol in the background. And it's talking about the lack of black accountants in the UK accounting practice field, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In particular, senior, lack of senior black accountants. So I'm thinking, okay, 
And as I said, I worked with, I used to be an auditor, but I worked with a lot of the media companies, pe people who I would have thought would have had a grasp on this. So I called my professional body. I called the big four. I called anyone who I could think of. No one had anything sensible to say. And so mm -hmm. this started me on a path where I ended up doing, I ended up quitting my job. I, and cause I really wanted to know like what's going on. I ended up yeah. doing a PhD at the London School of Economics. And so this is where I got the PhD in your problems because mm -hmm. I was looking at culture, race, professional identity. I was looking at accountancy profession. I was looking at what everyone would now call diversity and inclusion, DEI. I was really building a critical mass of knowledge. And mm -hmm. then I'm looking at the path of what happens because you do a PhD, they're setting you up to be sort of a world-class researcher, but they're very much talking to themselves. And as yeah. I've said, I came from a commercial background. I came from people who were making a lot of money in businesses. They were really going for it. So mm -hmm. I was thinking, okay, what if I take all of this knowledge that I've got here? I had a question I didn't understand. What if I try and apply it over here? And yeah. that's what I tried to do. And so that's when I, I, to be honest, it wasn't a very inclusive space yeah. at all. It was quite challenging. And so, um, yeah, it was a lot of people, lots of people who used to work in HR, uh, positioning themselves around diversity and inclusion. I realized the barrier to entry was very low. Also, the, the standards were very low as well. Yeah. The, the level of expertise, knowledge, understanding was actually very low. And, and that surprised me as well, because I had all this academic knowledge. I had mm -hmm. this work ethic, but I had to combine those two in order to actually give something and contribute to the marketplace. And that's when I started with the podcast, the writing, and everything else that you know and love now. Yeah. And that's, you know, you've contributed a lot of a lot of time and effort and energy to the work that you do. It's the trade. And, you know, for myself, you know, I'm I can advocate for you and I've advocated for you in, in the past. And I know that what you say is resonates to a lot of people. And, you know, your, your little snippets, whether they're 10 minutes or your, your blog posts or your uh, LinkedIn newsletters, those definitely resonate with me. And I'm pretty sure with your, with your subscribership to all of the, all of your media, that definitely uh, resonates to a lot of people within the profession. And, you know, and you're a no nonsense person, which is, which is great and refreshing to hear because of the fact in our business you know as much as anyone else, everyone follows the trends, right? But you, like me, like everyone else, you look at the long game, right? And that's what we need to start talking about, especially when we're when we're talking about the fact that, you know, DEI backlash is the big the big thing right now. But really, is it? No. Right? We still need it. It's always going to be there. How do you make your organizations thrive and survive in that environment? And that's what you bring to the table. And I'm appreciative of that. So, so. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Andrew. Thank yeah. you. No, I, I appreciate that. And I like what you said about the long game as well, because you talk about fads, trends, all of this stuff. It looks cool now, but mm -hmm. what about in the long term? Like yeah. after you've got the attention and all the rhetoric has died down, what are you doing then? What are you doing next week? What are you doing yeah. the week after? What are you doing when no one's looking? What are you doing yeah. when it gets boring? When you get a bit tired? What are you doing mm -hmm. then? These mm -hmm. are the things that I think is really important to focus on as opposed to 
you know, we, we talk about flags, food and fun. And this is a phrase I first learned that I, I first heard that term from Fernando Serpa. This was years ago. This is actually <laughs> in the US. Is, is it Disney? Um, yeah. At Disneyland, actually. It's the first time I was there. I was there for a conference and we were talking. I interviewed him and he talked about this idea of flags, food and fun. And it always stuck with me. And it's something that I, a phrase I use a lot. And it's just about the idea that diversity, inclusion is all about flags, food, and fun. Flags, yeah. all these celebratory events, food, like in the, yeah. in the UK, black history. So now we're going to have jerk chicken or something like that yeah. in the canteen. <laughs> exactly. And then fun, all these photo opportunities, all these parties, all of this stuff, it position, depending on how it's done, it can often position people who you want to include as being yeah. far away from the workplace because the people yeah. who make decisions the people who are actually performing in the organization are typically not characterized like that and do you know what maybe they are in your organization mm -hmm. and that's a different thing but that hasn't been my experience in the years yeah. that i've been doing this work yeah no that's that's really important to hear and it's you know people are organizations are still going back to that old one and done thing of you know, what does it mean to be culturally diverse and just have those, you know, f like you said, food, fun and flags. But really, it's not about that. It's more about your people. It's about your culture and how you're showing up in the world. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So in a in a very short stint, I want to I want to just get a little bit of, of knowledge. I mean, we've talked a lot about you and your organization, but what is something that people would not normally know about you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I'm quite, um, people talk about bringing your whole self to work and stuff, and yeah. I tend not to do that. So I keep a lot yeah. of stuff private. That's just what I prefer. Yeah. But something that no one, they, they wouldn't know, let's say working in the field is, uh, I used to live in Brazil. I used to live on a tropical island mm. and on the, and in Bahia. And yeah. uh, the name of the island was Mojo de São Paulo, which is, uh -huh. um, it's two hours off the coast of Salvador. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, beautiful place and at the time i was there there were no roads okay and there was a party every single night mm -hmm. and i yeah i got into this party lifestyle the only reason that i could tell the different days of the week was because every night there was a different party in a different location uh, and so okay. i i would often not know the day of the week until i spoke to someone and said hey like <laughs> Where's the party tonight? Oh, it's here. It's at the, at the Teatro, the theater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That means it's Monday, right? <laughs> or it's at this club called Toka. Oh, okay. That means it's Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Most that's, that's, that. that's something I didn't know, but now, Hey, Hey, that's, that's, uh, that's good. <laughs> the fun side of Jonathan, that's for sure. Yeah. So it's there, but I always show up in a particular way. And, and, yeah. and there are reasons for that as well. Right? Uh-huh. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. We all know. So, so as we get into the to the episode now, I wanna I wanna dive in a little bit about this evidence based inclusion. Um, you know, we talked about we talk a lot about data, we talk about facts, and we also talk about the fun food and flags and whatnot. So, you know, let's just first talk about what does it mean to have evidence based inclusion? Why is it essential for today's business? Sure. So. It's useful to think I'm going to, I'm going to jump to a conclusion and make an assumption because yeah. without this assumption, it, th there is no value. So 
I'm going to assume that you, the person who's listening or watching has a desire to nurture inclusion in their workplace. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. it's useful to understand what does inclusion mean? Now, right. the way we describe it in our organization, we encourage you to think of your own version of this. But mm -hmm. we say that inclusion is a systematic business strategy to ensure that everyone shares the same advantages and benefits. Mm -hmm. Everyone can perform. Everyone can belong. Everyone can reach their potential. That's how mm -hmm. we think about it. I'd encourage you to think about what that means for you in your team, where you work in your life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So with this idea of inclusion, evidence-based inclusion is a decision-making process that allows you to nurture inclusion in your workplace. It is mm -hmm. also systematic. It is also rooted within an organization in the way that we do it. And typically, you want to draw evidence to support your decisions from mm -hmm. four key sources. So one is the research. We started off so talking about this. I've got a PhD in your problems. I spend a lot of time looking at research, doing my own research, reviewing, applying it as well. So let's see what the research says. And one of the reasons you do that is because there are researchers who have thought about the problem that you are having in much greater detail, in about how you characterize it, how you can think about it, what to do next. Why not learn from them? They've put a mm -hmm. lot more time and effort into it to a standard that is higher than most people. So let's yeah. borrow from what they say. And a quick example of why that's important. People talk about the business case for diversity. People yeah. talk about unconscious bias training. If you look at what the research says, not one, not two, not a hundred, the body of research, and in particular meta-studies, it shows that the business case for diversity has not been established in the way that you've been led to believe. The mm -hmm. body of research, not the 10, 10 uh, articles that someone's going to bring up, right? Yeah. The body of research says that unconscious bias training does not work. So mm -hmm. these things influence me in my decision-making. Yeah. So that's one. The second thing is professional expertise. And that's probably the one that everyone relies on as well. Yeah. Your expertise, my expertise, I like leveraging the expertise of others, which is mm -hmm. why I do these 60-second book reviews. This is why we've got the book club, which is why I review books all the time. It allows me to borrow and understand other people's expertise so I can apply it to my specific issue. Mm -hmm. Then there's stakeholders. These are the people who are directly, or I would say indirectly, but let's say directly affected by the decisions that you want to make. Yeah. And if we want to change a recruitment process because we wanted to hire more black women, would it be useful for us to speak to black women as part of that process? Maybe. Would it be mm -hmm. useful to speak to the hiring manager as part of that process? Yeah. Would it be useful to speak to candidates, even people who didn't get, make it as mm -hmm. part of that process? Yeah, that would be. So speaking yeah. to stakeholders, because if we're going to make a change, all of these people will be impacted. And then the yeah. last thing is organizations as well. You hear people talking about data. We need to get data. Yeah. It's all about data. Yeah. Yeah of, yeah, of course. But do you know what to do with it? Do you even know yeah. how to ask for it? Yeah. A lot of organizations will tell you that, oh, they've got trouble getting data. or they. Because here's the other thing. You can get people to give you their data. And what does data mean? Let's say it's demographic data, right? I want to characterize and understand who you are based on some key characteristics. One, I've got to encourage you to give me that data. Two, how do I know it's accurate? If I ask you about your um, sexual orientation and you say mm -hmm. prefer not to say, 
that's not that helpful. It actually it yeah. tells me something because no data is data as well. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. So if I've got this idea of a thing that I want to do, I don't know. If you're mm -hmm. saying not applicable everywhere, I prefer not to say. So you need good quality. And here's the other thing as well. Data is not the same as evidence. This yeah. is something that I've been reminded constantly recently as well. So mm -hmm. the example I always give, like Andre, my height, your height, my age, your age. Mm -hmm. This is data, right? These are numbers. Yeah. Evidence is if we've got a hypothesis, if we've got a claim, we're mm -hmm. trying to prove something, disprove something, understand. I say prove and disprove. We're trying to make better decisions about that thing. So am I tall? You know, am I old? That number yeah. is, is, is only becomes evidence when we put it into context. So yeah. evidence-based inclusion is about applying this type of thing in order to make better decisions to get inclusion where you work. Definitely. Definitely. That's well said. And somewhat, and you know, that's one of those clips we need to, we need to put out there so people really understand what it means. And so why would someone be against this? This is what I, this is what I'd be curious about. The evidence is there. The data is there. You know, there's a lot of people who, for lack of a better term, hide behind the data. So, you know, why would people want to hold out on something like this? Well, sometimes the, sometimes the evidence isn't there. Yeah. So sometimes you have to create the evidence. So if you've got data, you have to turn that into evidence in order to make a decision. All of this, because I, let's be clear as well. I'm standing here saying evidence-based inclusion. Ha ha, you should use it. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah. It's not easy. It's a lot of work. It's quite mm -hmm. repetitive. Remember, I told you, I used to be an accountant. So yep. this type of repetitive, and you're doing hypothesis testing as well. The, mm -hmm. One of the first things you need to ask yourself is, what is the problem we're trying to solve? What, what do we believe about the world, our organization, about this team or department? Then we, yeah. you know, we're going to assess, we're going to acquire evidence to see if one, if we're even asking the right question, and to so are we going to support a claim that we're making? Yes. So there's, there's a whole process around it. And I've made it sound really easy. So yeah. if you're not up for the hard work, mm -hmm. that's a reason not to do it. If you don't like making decisions based on the best evidence available, that's a reason not to do it as well. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. people tend to volunteer their preferences regards to those two things. So yeah. I would look out for those. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And going back to the earlier conversation about, you know, the 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 unconscious bias and and people going into trends and stuff like that. Do you see this being this evidence-based inclusion? Do you see this being the solution to bringing equity inclusion to the forefront instead of many of the practitioners who are just focused on events, learning development, etc.? What's your, what's your take on that? Even if you want to even expand on this, you know, taking unconscious bias training for, for an example. And when you say forefront, like, well, let me, yeah, let me, let's, let's, let's run with this unconscious bias training. Yeah. Thing, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what is the purpose of unconscious bias training? Like, why would you do it? Yeah. That, that, that that's the question I would ask. Yeah. And so, and I don't even want to make any value judgments, but someone will have an answer to that, right? Yeah. So the other thing is, did it achieve that thing? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So in order to figure this out, 
let's say I don't know, we'll just go through that cycle, I say. What does the research say about unconscious bias training? There may be some circumstances where it does work. Are those our circumstances? Mm -hmm. If not, maybe we need to tweak it and understand it. Okay, mm -hmm. when it does work, we, can we recreate that? Okay, great. So that's what the research says. Then we'll look at the stakeholders. So what is the thing that we are trying to change? So if people yeah. say, well, we want to, they'll say things like, we want to increase uh, promotions in this particular team. We think right. that there's bias in play. Okay. So are you tracking this over time? Like who, what type of bias are we talking about? Who are we talking about in particular? So you start mm -hmm. asking more and more of these questions. And actually, when you, as we're going through this, you can start to see, you'll get some of the answers yourself in terms yeah. of being really specific as opposed to this gen generic idea of we're just going to do some training, we're going to tick that box, and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Then, as I said, we've got the stakeholders. We look at the organization itself. What is the thing we're trying to figure out? Mm -hmm. And then rely on your professional expertise, my professional expertise. My expertise shows me that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. for, for the use cases that I've heard, they said, oh, we wanted to increase diversity. so." We did unconscious bias training. Okay, mm -hmm. I've never seen that work. Or if someone yeah. says, oh, we wanted to increase um, awareness. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. Yeah. And even when they've tried to measure it, actually a lot of them don't. So now I don't know if that works. So yeah. it's just about getting really specific, very yeah. specific about what you're trying to understand. And where I see this and hope is that people just start using evidence-based practices in everything. People say yeah. evidence-based but they're quite ambiguous in the same way people say diversity and inclusion. Most of the time, I don't know what people mean. So it's nice yeah. for people to be clear about what they're trying to say. Yeah. And, you know, this is the thing that I've always had, you know, unconscious bias training, you know, included in this is that people don't, people just throw it out there. Like it's like, it's an um, all encompassing solution to what they're trying to, what they're trying to achieve. And then they'll go into, like, I've been in, in sessions where they talk about unconscious bias trait. They go through the tons of biases that exist, confirmation bias, you know, affinity bias, all that stuff. Okay. What does that mean? Right. What does that mean in the end? How are you, how, you know, are you tracking people who are, are you tracking the behavior of the organization? Is there a change in behavior? Right. And that's the hard work that needs to happen. Right. And I fully agree. Again, I fully agree with you. This is something that we need to we need to really dive into, into why why you're doing this work. Right. Why are we doing this work? What's the purpose of doing this work? And that's, you know, and that's that's the challenge that we start to see, especially when people are thrown into the fire and they really don't understand what it means. And that's, you know, and that's why I'm I'm not for unconscious bias training. I'm, you know, training is one thing. It's great. It's it checks the box, like you said. but What's your end goal? And and yeah, and I and I agree with you on that. It's it's worth okay. saying because I I come across as if I really anti and unconscious bias training. Mm -hmm. I I'm more for using evidence based inclusion right. as a, an approach. There will be a case where it's very relevant and useful for you in your specific circumstances. Yeah, then you should use it. If it's not, then you should not. That's that's yeah. the. That's what we're recommending. That's what we tell our clients. That's what we tell everyone. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. So coming full circle to this, how do you, you know, how do you see evidence-based inclusion evolving in, 
in the profession or in general? Well, I'm, I'm always looking to see how it evolves myself. Like example, example, right now, here's some books that I'm reading right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. One, I don't know if you can see this properly. It might be reversed, but this is, yeah. this is called evidence. And for people who are hearing, listening, not watching this, this is evidence-based medicine. Okay. okay. Now I'm holding another book, which is called Evidence-Based Management. Mm -hmm. Right. These books are getting bigger as I go along, by the way. <laughs> right. They're heavier. Yeah. And then this one, which oh is it's funny how they're blue. This one is called the International Handbook of Evidence-Based Coaching. Ooh. Right. Theory, okay. research, and practice. That's uh, this one. Let me tell you how I many. Wow. This is like I just stopped on nine page nine hundred and forty-three. Oh boy. Okay. It's big. So yeah. why did I show you all of those things? It's because I'm trying to understand evidence-based practices in different fields mm -hmm, so that I mm -hmm. can better leverage that in the field that I'm in. I would hope that others do the same in, yeah. in the work that they're doing. I hope that they would actually try and leverage and understand better ways of achieving results. Yeah. I think that once, that's my view. I, I don't know. And in fact, I don't know, even know enough about evidence-based, let's say, medicine or management in different organizations to really comment. I can talk about this is what I wanted to do in, in inclusion, evidence-based inclusion. I want people to, to be very clear about how they apply it, very deliberate, yeah. very intentional, uh, focused on disciplined execution as mm -hmm. well. And yeah. in order to get better results that are relevant that matter to the people they work with. Yeah, definitely. And that's, and you know, and it comes to even, even thinking about to add to your conversation, you just recently had a, um, a, a podcast with uh, the author of evidence-based inclusion who comes out of, I believe in the, in the Boston area. And you've, and you've also Dr. spoken. Star. Yes. yes. Dr. Lauren Starr. Yes. Yes. And, and even too, who you praise a lot and you too have such similarities in a lot of ways is, uh, Dr. Rob Briner, right? He's, you know, you even had him on your, on your podcast a little while ago too. So there is a trend here that we are seeing. And a lot of people need to understand that there is, there is some teeth into this, into this work. And it's very important for us to not only to learn from each other, but also learn from other professions into diving to this work because no matter what, we all need to be need to have diverse thought and diverse uh, and diverse leadership, if you will, so that our our business businesses thrive and our organizations thrive. Right? Absolutely. And like this book, yeah. if you read this book here, this evidence based management, you'll be like, well, that's exactly what he just said, right? Yeah. I'm so influenced that that book actually made me realize that the the approach I was already taking. Mm -hmm. is or is better organized than described as evidence-based inclusion and as yeah. you said dr lauren Starr, what she's doing she goes in a very much takes that research approach and i really like that book so there's a lot of things that uh a lot of people like she challenges the the whole the way that people talk about belonging also yeah. says that uh diversity training dei training is is not there to create an inclusive workplace she mm -hmm. says all of this stuff really interesting once again someone who really enjoys the research but yeah it's funny and it's because i found i discovered it's rob brinner i i was saying briner for years 
right? Oh, I'm even okay. Britain. See, I didn't know that because I go by the English two ends is short. Okay, so it's Britter. Okay, so now I only I only knew that. I only found out myself, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I would always read the name. Yeah, yeah. And so here's exactly. here's a funny story. So I'm so I I I know the professor and and very forward thinking, like very well respected. Yeah, and. <laughs> Here's the thing. I came across his work in a way that most people don't really, outside of academia, aren't really aware of. Because mm -hmm. if you were talking about race and ethnicity in the past 10 years as a researcher, you would be citing his work because he's, he's done some very important pieces of research mm -hmm. with his um, co-author. So it's always Kenny and Brenner, right? Yeah, uh, they got famous 2007 paper and I think a famous 2013 paper. I talked about them in my my PhD. So anyone who's talking about race, ethnicity in the UK always cites them. So mm -hmm. it's so interesting that that's how I first came across his work, right? Ethnicity and race, which he doesn't talk about that much now. No. And then, uh, as I said, did the PhD and everything else, and then I met him. I met him actually at a client's. A client mm. event, one of my clients, yeah, 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 and he yeah. was there. And I was like, hey, you know, I love what you're doing. I, look, I, <laughs> I know all your stuff. It was really cool. And, and he, he was also, he was talking about evidence-based HR right. there. And evidence-based, and I was thinking, this is interesting. And mm -hmm. I, I just bought into it. I completely, it made complete sense. And it, as I said, it was a better way of articulating what I was already doing. Definitely. And so... Yeah, I, th I think the world of Professor Rob Brenner. And wouldn't it be funny if I'm getting it wrong? But I'm sure I've heard him say Rob Brenner. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe we are. Who knows? But but he's he's one. He's one. Uh, he puts out a lot of uh, great information, uh, and I, I take a lot of his information as well. You know, so that's what we do. We learn from each other, and we apply it to our work, like you said right at the outset. So. Um, I want to conclude our conversation. It's been, it's been great. And I want to, we've talked about a lot of things, but what's the one piece of advice you would leave for those doing this work, equity practitioners, and also those in the business world or, or organizational leaders? What's the one thing you would tell them about this work? I, th I think it's what I said, use an evidence-based practice, use an yeah. evidence-based approach. You can decide what that means for yourself, but mm -hmm. increase the rigor. Be very specific, but yeah, the summary is evidence-based practices. Yeah. Do that. It allow it. Do you know what it does? It makes your haters have to do more homework. Yeah, I like that line. Haters do more homework. I love that line. Definitely, it's 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 something that people need to know because you know haters will always hate. That's just the way it is. So, <laughs> and it actually brings anyway. them on board as well because you know what? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because you're proving them wrong, right? Well, it's, do you know what? It's less about proving them wrong. It's often about having a better, more rigorous way. Yeah. So if, if their way is good, you've got to support them. Yeah. If your way is good, then you've got a good argument, a credible case about why yeah. we should take this route. But you almost become agnostic. Like, and it's not about, you know, I said haters and stuff, but it's, it's about how can we make the best decisions and go in the direction the, and, or apply the thing that makes the most sense to us. Let's yeah. reason and find that way. Uh, yeah. and, it, and what I find is when you raise your standards, 
the person mm-hmm. with the highest standards tends to be the leader anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. So um, I want to conclude and say thank you, Jonathan, for finally, you know, we're finally getting together to doing this. I, you know, I really appreciated it and learning from you over the last last year, probably, or even longer and having conversations, you know, finally coming to the point of like, hey, what can we really talk about? And this is it. And I'm grateful for this. And, you know, and I'm also grateful for your friendship uh, during all this. And I, you know, and I want to continue that uh, over time. So, so thank you for this. And I just want to, con- just want to ask you one, one last kind of personal, uh, personal kind of thing, but what is the one book? I mean, you've talked about a lot of books, but there's also got to be some music because we know you have this love for Brazilian culture <laughs> of sorts. But oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. is it either way? What is it? What is the book or song that motivates you every day? It changes so much. Yeah, I can tell you. And some the answers I'm about to give are too weird as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, really weird. <laughs> and not, not even in the English language and stuff. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you about a book I'm reading now, okay. which has been profoundly motivating for me, actually. Is, um, what is this? I'm trying, I'm not, I say I'm trying to read it, but it's Epictetus, right? Discourses and Selected Writings. It's okay. about stoicism. This would be good if, hey, if someone's having a hard time or if someone's trying mm-hmm. to get through something, it, it's very good for making you take ownership of your life and and being less concerned about what others think. One yeah. of the key messages that I keep getting from this book is that look, you get to own the impressions of the external world and how it impacts you. Mm-hmm. And there's some real practical examples of that that I find really encouraging. Really encouraging. And so if yeah. if there is anyone who needs that or needs to hear that or is concerned about others and oh, you want to do something and you're not sure what others will think or you've got a decision to make and maybe people are going to think this. Yeah. This book is, uh, is I think, will be quite useful. Yeah. I'd encourage you to check it out. Epictetus. Epictetus, Discourses yes. and, what is it? And selected writings. It's yeah. actually written by one of his students because he never wrote anything down himself. <laughs> All right. No, That's good to know. Definitely That's good right. to know. Stoicism is something that I've... Uh, that I've had not a love hate relationship, but it's more like, you know, I, I went through a time for myself and to think about, okay, where do I want to go in my life? And where do I, where do I see myself in the world? And, um, you know, and, and as much as I preached, uh, you know, just not caring in the world about that. One of the things was learning about stoicism. And, uh, and yeah, and definitely, you know, I didn't know about that book. I just knew about others and people prescribing to it and stuff but definitely that's something that we should uh take heed to so uh where can people reach you i mean we all know linkedin and and your website and whatnot but is there any is that the those are the best ways for you to to be reached right? yeah so you can find me on linkedin dr jonathan ashong lamptey you can also if you go to a website called evidencebasedinclusion.com evidencebasedinclusion.com all spelled as you would expect then we've got the Element of Inclusion, the podcast as well, elementofinclusion.com, or wherever mm-hmm. you check out podcasts, go to look for the Element of Inclusion. I think as we stand now, we well, I go around telling people we're the longest running inclusion podcast in the world. We're 
this mm-hmm. week we're at episode 328. Wow. So I can't wait to see you get there yourself, Andre. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I hope so. I, hope I'm so. cheering you on to do it. I'm cheering you on to do it. Seriously, seriously, oh, we need man. we oh, need man. these global conversations. We need yeah. more people like you, and especially mm-hmm. what you have to offer. Like, and for for the audience, I've yeah. been I've been I've been talking and encouraging Andre. Like, I think he's got a very specific, unique perspective that is such a big deal, but isn't spoken about enough. And yes. that I don't want to. I don't want to be. A, I don't want to have any spoilers or anything. But it's stuff <laughs> that I even I who have no idea about this thing yeah. would be really interested. And so I'm maybe you as members of this audience can encourage him to do that because yeah. I think that would be really exciting, really practical, really useful. And yeah. and the only thing I'll say without giving any spoilers is it's relevant wherever you live on Earth, wherever mm-hmm. like you would find yes. this really interesting and you know some <laughs> yeah. of this stuff is not yeah this is relevant for you it doesn't matter what language you speak either yeah exactly exactly thank you thank you for the for the props my friend thank you for this so that concludes another episode of global conversations webcast uh just watch it on youtube or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and until next time i bid you adieu thank you bye bye for now <laughs>